And just from the beginning here, you're going to want to put your eyes on your handout because we're going to do just a little bit of recap. And then we are going to dive into the book of Numbers. I'm almost always excited when I'm preaching. There's occasionally when I have a lull. But this series, um, I'm especially excited because um, I believe as we're accomplishing this study together as a congregation that at least in my 40 years of life, I've not ever been stepped through the Bible like this before. I've heard lots of great preaching, uh, but I have never been stepped through the Bible like this. And so what it's doing for me, even though I've studied the scriptures for years and years personally, but also as a pastor, this is bringing some clarity to the main story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that even I have never had before. And so I hope for you it also will be exciting. It'll be a blessing. It will help you be passionate about how the Bible truly is, the best story ever, and we're living it. And you can be confident of how this causes you to have more hope, but also something to celebrate in your Christian life as you go through the ups ups and the downs of this life. So Genesis key point there on your handout. The Bible is the best story ever and Genesis is the once upon a time. Now we were clear when I gave this theme that um, we're comparing you know, just to the fictional books, the once upon a time there was a prince or a princess far in a far, far away land. You know, those books are fictional, but Genesis is absolutely not fictional. But it really is. It's the beginning of a great story, and that's why I use that phrase, once upon a time. Exodus, the Bible, is the best story ever, and Exodus carries forward God's covenant relationship with his people by moving from the family of Abraham to the nation of Israel. We saw in the sermon on Genesis how special this idea of covenant was because God is using this form of covenant, this, this tool of covenant to rescue his people from the low point of sin when they were when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And then he uses this tool of covenant, starting with Noah, and then he moves on to Abraham in Genesis, and then in Exodus he moves from Abraham and his family, and now he deals with the full nation of Israel, and he makes a covenant with them. And we mentioned how with covenants, like with marriage, the marriage covenant, for example, or any other covenant in our society with some other person or agreement or legal contract. When you have two parties being two humans, it's always complicated. Hey, marriage might be great for you, but it can also be very, you can have some low points. Marriage is frustrating. Marriage is hard. You have two humans involved. But when you get in a covenant with God, you have a human and you have God That type of covenant is awesome, my friends. And that's what we're seeing with this tool of covenant that God is using from the beginning all the way to the end in the book of Revelation. And right now, we are in the new covenant. We'll get to that eventually, but it's going to pop up. uh, Or the New Testament, by the way. It's going to pop up throughout our Old Testament time. So Leviticus 
the Bible as the best story ever. And Leviticus goes deep, it digs in deep into what it means for the nation of Israel to be in a covenant relationship with God. And there are beautiful lessons for us as we looked at how that applied even today. And one of the things I mentioned two weeks ago now was that the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is called by some um, the, the New Testament version of Leviticus because it takes so many of the truths from Leviticus and applies them to the New Covenant. And if you don't remember what those are or um, you missed that Sunday, go on to our church website or if you're still off trouble because you're not a person who likes to use websites, come talk to me and I'll help you get connected to those sermons. That brings us to today, the numbers key point. The Bible is the best story ever and numbers gives us the story of the life of a generation in covenant relationship with God. So the blanks are life of a generation. The Bible is the best story ever. Numbers gives us the story of a life of a generation in a covenant relationship with God. The book of Leviticus only covered a one-year span. And really, Exodus was a shorter time period than that. And so Exodus was... So Genesis covered thousands of years. Um, Exodus covered not even a full year. And then Leviticus covered a year. And then now the book of Numbers is going to cover 38 years. It's going to cover those wilderness wandering years that we're, we're so used to hearing about of the children of Israel in, in the wilderness. And by the time Numbers is done, they're coming up to the edge of the promised land. And there's a final year as they approach the promised land. And that is the book of Deuteronomy that we'll look at next week, Lord willing. So this 38 years in the wilderness, roughly 38 years, that's a generation And so we're going to look at what it was for this generation to interact with God in a covenant relationship. And there's many lessons we can learn. In our American culture, we talk a lot about generations. We've talked about the baby boomers, talked about the Gen Xers and the millennials. Millennials? (laughs) Say that right there. Um, and I, by the way, resent the fact that they start the millennial generation in 1981, okay? Because I am not a millennial. Uh, but I'm not really a Gen Xer either. I, some, some people recognize that there is a little bit of an in-between going on there, and I'm, so I'm a tweener, okay? I'm a tweener. Um, but there's characteristics of a generation. There's the things that that generation had to deal with. The millennials don't know anything about um, the previous generation without computers and internet and things like that. Nothing like what the former generation experienced. And so there's characteristics of a generation, and there's characteristics of this first generation of the people of Israel under the Mosaic Law Covenant. And we can learn from these things. What can we learn from this generation? 
Should we even pay attention to this first generation? And I'm going to let the scriptures speak to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Paul, that's not the right reference. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Guess I'm going to just have to have you open up your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look together there. We're going to look at verse 1. Paul is referencing several things from the book of Numbers in this passage, okay? And then he makes an application to us here in the New Covenant. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul is making some spiritual applications here to what happened in the book of Exodus and Numbers. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Talking about this first generation, we're getting ready to look at in the book of Numbers. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. Telling us right here, Paul is telling us right here, the value of the book of Numbers. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. That was in the book of Numbers. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. That was in the book of Numbers. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. That was in the book of Numbers. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore... And here's a, here's a part that we, we're familiar with these next two verses, but we aren't familiar with what they're making the application from. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Paul is addressing by the Holy Spirit here. We can look at these people in the wilderness and in numbers and we can judge them and we can say, how, you know, we're fine. We, We don't need that. I'm flipping through to catch up my slides. Sorry to be for the distraction. We don't need that. 
and we say, I'm fine. And Paul's saying, be careful. You think you're standing and you're okay. You're going to fall. Pay attention. And so let's pay attention to the book of Numbers and the lessons of that generation. There's some positive things, but there's also quite a bit of negative things that we need to pay attention to. So let's look at Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1. My slides should be right here. So what can we learn from this generation? Should we even pay attention to this generation? Paul says yes. So let's look at Numbers chapter 1 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month and the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying. And we're going to stop here with that passage of Scripture. In general, we want to look at the major themes of the book of Numbers and learn from them to learn from this generation. So let's pray. I pray, O God, that we would not be proud this morning and think we stand and we're strong and we have no need of these lessons. Spirit of God, drive home what you gave Paul as he challenged the people of Corinth. Pay attention to the examples of the failures of this first generation of the children of Israel and apply it to their lives as well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one this morning, the life of a generation. That's what we're looking at, numbers. Divine guidance and movement toward a promised destination. So as we look at the life of this generation, we see divine guidance and movement toward a promised destination. So as we talk about this matter of divine guidance, it is all over the book of Numbers. It is all over the place for this first generation. God did not leave this first generation alone for 38 years in the desert. God was with them. Even in their disobedience, God was with them and he gave them guidance. Remember, even the text of the Bible that we're looking at today, uh, Numbers, was not, was not recorded. And very likely, not even Genesis, Exodus, or Leviticus had been written down yet. And so these folks, I suppose portions of Exodus have been written down because Moses went up on the mount and he recorded the law of God that God gave him. So there were some things that were recorded, but very little had been recorded for them. And so during this period of time, for the people of God, they relied on something outside of the Bible for guidance. And that was the voice of the Lord spoken to them, usually through the prophet Moses. And through Moses, God gave guidance. Today, we have the complete canon of scriptures, the word of God, Genesis through Revelation. God speaks to us primarily through this, and God guides us, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit who works in accordance with his word to give us guidance. You are not alone in this generation that you live in. God's guidance is there 
for you now. God is giving you guidance just like he did for this first generation of the people of Israel. I want to look at two parts of divine guidance. First, there are three law-giving passages, those boring passages in the Pentateuch where it just goes through, all, there's, they're in Exodus and they're in, um, in Leviticus and in Numbers. It feels like, oh, this is boring. But I want you to understand that this is God giving them guidance how to be in a covenant relationship with him. Yes, specific, very, very specific to that Israelite community. But the main principle is that God is guiding them and showing them how he can, they can enjoy a relationship with him, how they can enjoy his presence as they're on their journey to a promised destination. That's the important thing you need to remember. That's the, the big idea is that God is giving them guidance so that they can enjoy his presence and journey towards a promised destination. <clears throat> now, on your handout and also here on the screen, this comes from the ESV Study Bible. Kind of So you can just see this overview in Numbers. There is these high points of, of law-giving. Um, the first part of Numbers is also the last part of Exodus where they're still at Mount Sinai, but then they journey from there, and then they eventually land at this place called Kadesh, and there they, um, they have several things that are discouraging, and they disobey, uh, but then they also have um, there in Numbers a period of chapters that's some more law-giving, guidance from the Lord, and then Towards the end of Numbers, they journey from Kadesh and move to Moab, or the plains of Moab. And there, and part of the end of the book is focused on more guidance from the Lord through law. And if you slog your way through some of those passages, you're going to see there's some very specific examples that even arise up. Well, what do we do about this? And God speaks through Moses and gives them guidance in what to do. Also, if you look at Numbers chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, it gives God, the Lord gives very specific instructions even for how they're supposed to break down their camp and then head out to their next destination. Um, very, very specific stuff. But the overarching principle is God is with them even in the very practical matters of daily life to guide them and to lead them. There are times in our daily lives where we feel very alone and we feel like, well, what am I supposed to do here? I mean, who is in this position? It seems like no one else but me is in this position. And just know by example, as you see here in the book of Numbers, God specifically can guide people. And God can very specifically guide you even through his Holy Spirit through situations that seem that you can find, you cannot find your way out. So as far as divine guidance, we looked at first part of these law-giving passages, and then the next part is we see a very picturesque, beautiful, the thing that we write hymns about and that we talk about. We love to tell children. It takes place here in Numbers with God's guidance through this desert time, and that is found in Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 15. 
Numbers chapter 9 and verse 15. This, if, you know, if there are certain passages of Numbers I understand you're really probably not going to want to pay too much attention to. I get it. Um, but this is not one of those passages. This is one of those passages you want to like draw brackets around, you know, highlight, because this is like one of the things we get excited about in the book of Numbers. We love to tell the children about this. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire till morning. That must have looked awesome. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. Let me stop. This summer, we didn't always um, reserve ahead when we were driving across the country to Montana and then to California. So there were times we had to make a decision we're going to stop at a rest area. We're going to try to find a campground. And there are times where I think we would have risked it. The, the, the Spirit of the Lord in the cloud would just settle down in a place and tell us where to camp, okay? Um, Chuck and Cinda, they realized Friday night, I think it was, they didn't have a place that they were going to stay. And so they they drove into the night, what, got home at 3 in the morning because they didn't want to have to figure out where they wanted to stay that night. So they just drove home. So, you know, you just think about uh, this crowd of two million people the size of Indianapolis camping in the desert. Where are they going to go? And they didn't have to worry about that. This cloud would settle down and tell them where to camp, representing the presence and guidance of the Lord. So I'm going to start right in the middle of the slide. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in the camp. And then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. (coughs) And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. I think we get the point here. It's making it clear God's presence was with them, and he decided when they um, stopped and when they went. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Did I just read that? No, I didn't. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there. The people of Israel remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. feels very repetitive. I think Moses, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to drive home. God decided when they 
going out, when they were coming in, God guided them. That's, that was a, that's a phenomenal feat because that amount of people in the desert, it's a miracle. In fact, many commentators, there's a Hebrew word called elep. I, mean, I don't know you don't care about that. But huge articles have been written on whether or not we can take the numbers in uh, numbers literally. Because it seems so impossible. Is the uh, is the is Moses exaggerating here? But it is a miracle, and God guided them miraculously in the situation. God will guide us miraculously today. He never leads us alone. He will move us safely towards our destination. And that is next. So we looked at divine guidance, the next movement toward a promised destination. Now, I want to point out here, I think many of you, oh, yeah, yeah. When we talk about the children of Israel going through the desert and moving towards the promised land, many of our hymns and perhaps our stories, they make Canaan as like heaven. Now, Canaan was very much not heaven, but the reason why they say that is because here they're journeying through a desert and they're heading towards a promised land. And the parallel is for us today. We're journeying through this life in the new covenant and we have the ups and downs. Sometimes it feels like we're in a wilderness in this world, but someday we're going to arrive at our destination, the new creation to heaven. And it's a beautiful thing that God does for us, even though we are sinful and even though we have the sins of our generations. And it's a beautiful thing for any generation to see divine guidance moving them toward their eternal homeland. It's one of the great ways you can summarize your life. That's what God is doing for you. He's rescuing you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. But he's safely moving you through this dangerous world to a safe, eternal dwelling. Think across the span of time of your family's history. Look at how God has led you. I will never forget for myself how God took me out of a miserable pit of muck in Kentucky and made me eventually a husband, a father, and a pastor. Folks, if you knew the details, you'd know that's miraculous. And I promise you, I guarantee you, based on the authority of God's word, that if you are a child of God, he has done the same for you and will continue to do so. God is rescuing people, moving them to a destination of their eternal home, the new creation. And you should praise God in your generation for what he has done and will do. Number two, life of a generation, discontent and disobedience. Discontent and disobedience. There was quite a lot of it in this first generation of the people of Israel. And a lot of the awful, discouraging stories that we know from this time period are in here in the book of Numbers. 
So let's look at discontent and let's look at Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. And Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. Verse 3. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned against <coughs> or burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but manna to look at. And we say, wow, and the judgment and the criticism of the people rises in our hearts. How could they do that? And the particulars are different. We're not living in the desert eating manna every day. However, the principle is the same in our lives. When discontent rises in our hearts and we do not like the situation that we are in as we are following God in our lives. And we begin to complain and moan and look for ways to alter our situation or we think, oh, it was better when I was under bondage. Such a sad way that our hearts can crave for things against the Lord. But we need to be honest that that is our heart. And then next, disobedience. We looked at discontent. That was just one example. There's other examples in numbers of discontent. And I'm just going to mention a scripture passage to you about disobedience. We're not going to look at it because it's long and involved. But I would encourage you to, to read it on your own time. Numbers chapter thir- chapters 13 through 14. Numbers chapters 13 through 14. And that is the story of the 12 spies. Ten were bad, two were good. There's a song about that. I'm not going to sing it for you. I don't remember the words. But it's a little catchy tune that we teach our children. But the children of Israel willfully, multiple times, disobeyed and rebelled against God in this situation. And again, we must search our hearts. I'm not saying this the way we are at all times, but there are times that we can fall into willful disobedience and move towards outright rebellion against God. And if you're truly a child of God, the Holy Spirit will deal with you. God has generously rescued us, and yet we have a tendency toward discontent and disobedience. And we can have cravings for idolatrous bondage, just like the people of Israel craved to go back to Egypt. So your heart can have a craving to go back to bondage Do you believe that about yourself? It's true about you. You have that capacity. 
in our hearts we are very blinded sometimes and we don't want to consider it or we think of ourselves as a good person but the Bible teaches us different and so maybe for a period of time you've had a unwillingness to consider a weakness in your life or even a pattern of sin in your life and the Holy Spirit keeps on touching that but then you keep on telling yourself no I'm a pretty good person but in fact you have cravings to be discontent and disobey however you dress it up and justify it So the life of a generation, we looked at number one, and that was pretty encouraging, God's divine guidance, moving us to a promised destination. Number two was a little discouraging. Number three is going to go back to the encouraging part. Number three, life of a generation, protection and blessing. Protection and blessing. And we're going to see how God protected his people and how he blessed them through the story of Balak and Balaam. We can't look at the whole story, but we are going to look at just the beginning verses of it so you can see where it starts. And then if you want to dig in in your own time, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 22, verse 1. The story spans from chapter 22 through chapter 24. But we'll at least get the setting, and then I can give you a summary. Numbers chapter 22, verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Balak was a king, okay? He was a pretty big Dude, he was pretty important. He ruled over a people. And he saw what had just happened where Israel had gone to battle with the Amorites. And Israel had won. So he's getting a little nervous. Our political leaders today, when we see what one country does to another, we realize that we might be next. We get nervous. And that's what's happening here with Balak. And he's trying to come up with some solutions to prevent this happening to them. And the Mo and Moab, which is where King Balak was, and Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde now will lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, for whatever reason, it's including his surname again, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river and the land, the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They covered the face of the earth, and they were dwelling. They are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know 
that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. In other words, Balaam had some sort of reputation for being able to bless and curse people, and Balak knew about it. And so he is trying to hire Balaam to curse the children of Israel. I don't want to dig into that too much, but there is a possibility that there are people throughout the ages who have tied into demonic power, and perhaps that is what is happening here with Balaam. Not don't know for sure. All that I know is he has a reputation to bless and curse people as he chooses. And so this is a humorous story for us as we read it, where Balak gets very uh, upset because as soon as he goes to have Balaam, he takes uh, Balaam to a place where he can see part of the children of Israel, and he says, okay, pronounce your curse, utter your curse. And as soon as he begins to utter his incantation or whatever it was, um, what comes out is superintended by God, and it's a blessing of the people of Israel. I think this happens three times, and Balak gets really mad and angry, and Balaam's like, I can't help it. I've got to do what I, ha- what I have to do. And even you see the story of Balaam's donkey and the talking donkey, and as Balaam is beating his donkey, and the angel opens the donkey's mouth. It's, it's funny, it's humorous. But the big idea here is that here is a nation, Moab, and they, their leader wants to harm and prevent success of the people of Israel. And God protects them. And instead of curses coming out of Balaam's mouth, there are messianic blessings that come out of his mouth. Blessings that secure the fact that Israel will be rescued and protected. And that is what God is doing for every generation of his people. Even in the midst of their sin, God is protecting them. He is blessing them as he's moving them toward a promised destination. As he is rescuing them from the low point of sin and taking them to the high point of in-person, face-to-face fellowship with himself. Number four, this is going to be brief. Number four, it's just a parenthesis here where we, we need to talk about these things, Passover and Holy War. Passover, turn to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9, verse 1. Actually, just verses 1 and 2. Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. The reason I want to bring this up is this was Passover number 2. The first one was when they moved out of Egypt. Very dramatic first Passover. And here is Passover number two. And this was to be celebrated throughout the generations. They were still celebrating it. 
when Jesus came and Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb, he was murdered on the cross on the Passover. And it was there during Passover time that he commanded us to celebrate our Lord's Supper, our communion ceremony. And there will be yet a future Passover meal when Jesus returns in a matter of celebration. We celebrate with him victory. So the story of the blood of Christ and how it, uh, how God's wrath is able to pass over us through Christ and what he did on the cross so that we can be protected and rescued. Here is reenacted for the second time for the people of Israel. Next, let's look at holy war. Look at Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. This is, for many of us, especially if you've interacted with unbelievers who are familiar with some of these Old Testament passages, we wish these weren't in here. Because, well, I'll just read it to you. Numbers chapter 31, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Mennonites. Afterward, you should be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. And you can read the following verses. There's gruesome detail where... Israel's warriors obeyed the command of God and executed people. And I would caution you ever to be excited about that. It's a solemn thing. But what I can tell you is that God has the right to make this decision. And we can't understand it. But I will take you back to the fact that God is a righteous king. And in the end, when he returns, our yet future return of Christ, there will be a bloody battle. And evil will be conquered once for all. We don't celebrate, we don't get excited about blood and loss of life in the ugliness that comes with this restoration. But we do get excited about the righteous cause of our God, knowing that he will restore his people and bring us safely to our eternal destination. And so if somebody brings this passage up to you, with great exception, they are upset that this is in the Bible, what you can say very clearly is this is not something for me to be excited about. You don't need to feel like you're in a corner. You say, this is something that's very specific that God did through his Old Testament people of Israel. This is not something we expect to continue on. And it's only something in God's wisdom, his love and his holiness and righteousness, that this took place. It happens again in the book of Joshua in several places. It is a solemn thing. We do not need to be excited about it. We don't need to feel like we need to explain God. We can point to his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his love, 
and also point to the fact of what's coming in the future when God deals with evil. Nobody's going to like evil. But nobody is going to be comfortable with when God, as we see here in Numbers chapter 31, makes a very specific case to deal with evil. So let's pull it together. There's a couple more blanks there in your handout. The Bible is the best story ever. And Numbers gives us the story of the life of a generation. The life of a generation in a covenant relationship with God. By showing us divine guidance. And movement toward a promised destination. Showing us examples of discontent and disobedience and showing us God's protection and blessing. There's a hymn. I I didn't get a chance to look and see if it's in our hymnals. Um, but it's going to be here on the screen for you to read. It's an old hymn, but it takes what we have just seen in the book of Numbers and puts this together in hymn form. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, talking about that manna, Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing waters flow. Talking about that time when God provided water from the rock. Let the fiery, cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. Strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Bear me through the swelling current, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. You and I are in a generation that God is leading, nurturing, lovingly disciplining, protecting, and blessing. God will get us safely there. And I pray this week you will remember you are on a journey as a part of God's covenant people. And God will get you safely to your eternal home. Let's take a few minutes and respond to the Lord in prayer.